My name is Matthew Kane, and this is the Dirty Air F1 Podcast. He was almost a mystic. He was very, very, very intense. And he actually believed that he had a God-given right to win. I race designed to win. I am very strong in a way of driving. I want always to go faster. I am aggressive, I am determined, and I am dedicated to my profession. I continuously go further and further, learning about my own limitations, my body limitations, my psychological limitations. It's a way of life for me. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Dirty Air F1 podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Kane. Thank you so much for joining me today. Today's episode is about my day with Ayrton Senna. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, what's this guy going on about? How did he get to spend a day with Ayrton Senna? Well, sit tight, buckle up. We're going to go for a ride. But before we dive in, if you'd like to follow me on social media, I would like that as well. On Twitter, I am dirty underscore F1. My personal website is thedirtyairf1.com. And both on YouTube and Instagram, I am the Dirty Air F1 Podcast. I look forward to seeing you there. I must admit, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing this episode. It may not be as long as some of the other episodes I've done, but it's a little bit different this time. This is more of just me sharing a story about a day that I had, wow, 29 years ago. It's already been 29 years. I'm getting old. The year was 1991, and I was 18 years old at the time. As often was the case back then, it, it was not unusual for me to purchase car magazines. And I'm not too sure which one, if it, which one it was. It might have been Car and Driver or what have you. But this magazine had a full article written up about the new, well, I guess at the time, the new supercar, the Acura NSX, also known as the Honda NSX in Japan. I was even so impressed by the article that I passed the magazine along to my father who took the time to read it, and then he put it down and looked at me and said, it'll never be a Ferrari. Little did he know how much those words would come back to haunt him. Because a few weeks later, my dad at the time was actually in insurance and had been writing insurance policies for auto dealerships. And one of the dealerships happened to be an Acura dealership. And when he went to go meet the manager of the dealership, the new Acura NSX was in the showroom. Needless to say, a few hours later, he was obviously impressed enough to buy it, <laughs> and he came home with it. Now, as a perk from Acura that year, because Acura, obviously, the Honda engine used to be in the back of the McLarens during the Ayrton Senna, Alain Prost, uh, Gerhard Berger era. So everybody who had purchased an NSX in Canada was given a VIP pass to the Canadian Grand Prix that year. I believe Acura was also one of the title sponsors of the event. I mean, it was certainly displayed around the circuit quite a bit. So at the time, I just figured that Acura was putting on a huge show for the release of the NSX and supporting the Grand Prix. So an invitation came from Acura Canada inviting my father to attend, essentially what was the press day at the Canadian Grand Prix, which would be Thursday. And on that day, you would have the opportunity to have a go around the circuit with either Ayrton Senna or Gerhard Berger. Unfortunately for my dad, he had a prior commitment and couldn't make it. But that didn't mean I couldn't make it. To put this in perspective, I think we've all seen the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off, or Catch Me If You Can. 
this was me in my childhood. I, I, I wasn't afraid to bend the rules and do things as long as I didn't get caught. <laughs> and this is one of those times where I saw the invitation on the table. I mean, you have to remember, folks, this is before the internet. There's no email at the time. This is a, a letter written from Acura. So I simply filled out the letter and sent it back. Lucky for me, 19 years earlier, my parents had the foresight to give me my father's first name as my middle name. So that was already on my identification. And better yet, you didn't have to bring your own NSX. They had NSXs there. So all I had to do was get there, show this letter I got in the mail, and they'd match it up with the part that I sent back in, and I was good to go. Now, I hope you don't assume that I was some 19-year-old kid driving around in his dad's NSX at this time, because that's totally not the case. The NSX was used as bait. I was told that if I got on the honor roll at high school, that he would let me drive it. Well, I did that. And then my dad reneged. Can you believe that he reneged? And he offered to buy me a bike. Well, a bike just wasn't going to cut it. And thankfully, a friend of mine said that they had an older car that they had left at a friend's place. They didn't even know if it was still there. But I was told that if it was, I could have it. So <laughs> now's the time to pause the video and look up and Google a gold four-door Dodge Omni. That was my car, not the NSX. I ended up going to this gentleman's place and I found the Omni parked out by a barn. It had actually sunken all the way up to the floorboards in mud. My friend Miles had come with me and he was driving a Hyundai Pony which was even a worse car. But together, um, we managed to dig this car out, and I said to Miles, okay, get in the car, start it up, and I'm going to try and push it and drive it out. Well, he was sitting in the car for about 15 seconds. He started screaming. I ran around to the side of the car, and there was a praying mantis sitting on his shoulder. <laughs> a praying mantis was living in this car before I came and claimed it. So that was my ride to Montreal. Now, I had, I had owned that car for a few months, but I'd never driven it to something like Montreal. Montreal approximately is about 500 kilometers away from where I was living in Toronto. I didn't even know if the car could get there, but I was certainly going to try. So I left at about 2 o'clock in the morning, and I was all dressed up. I had a little dress shirt on, and I had, a, I had a tie, and I didn't even own a dress jacket at the time. So I grabbed one of my dad's, and luckily, nobody ever asked me to put it on. It was quite a hot day, the Grand Prix being in June, and I just carried it around on my shoulder, but my dad is, is a lot smaller than I am. So the jacket was only a size 38 and I'm a 42, but I carried it around the whole day and looked as official as I could when I finally showed up. Now that I remember it, I actually got pulled over. I got pulled over halfway there by a police officer and he said, where are you going? And this was at about, I don't know, four o'clock in the morning because we were supposed to meet at nine o'clock the next day for Thursday, nine o'clock in the morning. So I, I had left from Toronto at about 2 a.m. to make sure I could get there. I'd never driven to Quebec. I'd never dealt with the French signs and the French highways. This was all going to be new to me, but I was, I was off. I was off on my way in my little Dodge Omni, and I got pulled over approximately halfway there. The police officer looked in the car, and I'd actually had some Formula One books and magazines on the passenger seat because I was hoping to get some stuff signed. And one of those was actually Gilles Villeneuve and um, a book on Joe Villeneuve. So I was hoping that some people would sign it and I'd keep it as a keepsake. So the police officer looked in when he gave me my ticket. He said, Joe Villeneuve, eh? I said, yes, sir. He says, well, you drive like him. <laughs> and I said, thanks. 
And he said, I don't know if this car could drive like that, though, so slow it down. I managed to find my way there, and I think I arrived at about 7.30 and made my way to the VIP parking, which was filled with Acura NSXs. And I'm rolling in in the gold Dodge Omni. Luckily for me, there were they set it up for the Grand Prix, but there were a number of porta-potties there. And I actually parked my car behind the porta-potties to hide it. <laughs> you were supposed to hang the parking pass from the rearview mirror, but I just laid it flat on the dash. I didn't want anybody to see that I had the Acura VIP pass unless they walked up close to the car. And I knew that nobody was going to go behind the porta-potties, so I figured I was safe. So I got out of the car, straightened myself up, fixed my tie threw my dad's jacket over my shoulder and I had the letter in my pocket and I headed towards the VIP Acura area, which was fantastic. The food was, I remember the food, the breakfast was so good. It was delicious and nobody really cared that I was there. I just, I guess they didn't assume that anything was different. I think most people thought I was just somebody's son. So when I went to the identification table and I showed them my pass, they looked down the list and they saw Philip Kane. Well, my, my identification says, Matthew Philip came and I just simply told them that, yes, my first name is Matthew, but I go by the name Philip. Well, they didn't have any picture and they just said, welcome. I had, I had the welcome. Uh, I had the invitation from Acura. I had my identification. I looked the part. No one was, no one was the wiser. So, so far, so good. Everything was going according to plan. <laughs> I'd say it was about eight forty-five, eight forty-five that Gerhardt and Ayrton uh, showed up. And immediately I was gobsmacked. I, I couldn't talk. I couldn't breathe. I didn't know what to do. But one by one, they walked down and they said hello to everybody and they shook our hands. And yeah, it was quite the moment. It was a moment I'll never forget. And we've all seen pictures of Ayrton driving the NSX, right? We've seen videos of him wearing penny loafers with white socks and fluttering the throttle pedal going through corners. He wasn't wearing penny loafers that day. He was wearing running shoes. And I want to say he was wearing a pair of like dark colored cotton pants, but I do remember his leather jacket because I could smell it from five feet away. It smelled expensive. He also wore a pair of aviator glasses with gold rims and sort of like a dark greenish lens. He just looked so cool. Despite Ayrton smiling and shaking hands, you could tell that people were, I don't know if they were intimidated by him or they were in awe of him, but they certainly hesitated before approaching him. And it was often Ayrton who would wave them in and say hello. And it wasn't that way with Gerhardt. Gerhardt was laughing. He was gregarious. People were engaging with him. It almost looked like Ayrton was kind of lonely. And it was strange. And all of a sudden, my perception of him started to change. Now, for those of you who are new to the sport and didn't see Ayrton race live, I gotta say, if you go back and watch the videos with an unbiased view, Ayrton was, he was ruthless. He was a ruthless, ruthless driver. And he was... In my mind, he was the one who sort of instigated the whole win-at-all-costs mentality in Formula One. I mean, he certainly was the first driver I ever saw who intentionally collided with his opponents, even his teammates, in order to gain a position or even win a world championship. Yet if you didn't know him and you saw him standing there that day, you would have never have known it. He was so polite. He was soft-spoken. He was mild-mannered. He was almost shy. And already... I started to regret. I started to regret positioning myself in the area to take a ride with Gerhard Berger. One positive as I stood there was I started counting the people in the different sections and there were four less people in the area for Gerhard than there were for Ayrton. I immediately tried to figure out a way how to make this work in my favor. 
So I positioned myself at the back of the line and well, it wasn't really a line. It was just a section with tables and chairs, but I, I was in the section there waiting and I thought, you know what? I'm going to go last. I'm going to go last because the numbers are not going to be even and perhaps I'll get a couple extra laps in. And that's exactly what happened. So one by one, people got the chance to take their laps. And one thing I noticed was Ayrton was always the one who left first, but Gerard always beat him back to the pits. And when I saw people getting out of Ayrton's car, it was a polite handshake and a smile and a thank you. And when I saw people getting out of Gerhardt's car, they almost looked like they were going to be sick. There was laughter, there was bending over, nauseousness. No doubt Gerhardt was having a fantastic time showing people what their NSX could actually do in the hands of the right driver. So after what felt like an eternity, it was finally my turn. I got into the NSX and put my seatbelt on. And Gerhardt reached over, shook my hand, and then checked to make sure that my seatbelt was in tightly. I knew I was in for a fun trip. He looked at me with a smile on his face and he said, Would you like to go fast? And I said, Would you? And without hesitation, he dropped the clutch at 7,500 RPMs and we were off. First impression was I had never felt that before in the NSX when my dad was driving it. This was going to be a very different experience. We flew down the pit lane and caught up to Ayrton by the second chicane. It wasn't until the hairpin that Gerhardt took him down on the inside. I have to admit, Having watched Ayrton race for years, I was so surprised that he didn't put up a fight. I totally expected him to close the door. Around the hairpin we went, and Gerhardt furiously went through the gears, all the way down the St. Lawrence River, down the backstretch, as we headed down to the final chicane. I admit I had a little peek over at the speedometer, and we were going about 265 kilometers an hour. This was pretty intense, and all I could think about was the Wall of Champions. Now, for those of you in Europe, remember, in North America, the steering wheel's on the left-hand side of the car, and I'm sitting in the passenger seat on the right-hand side of the car. Gerhardt hit his braking point, down through the gears, flicked it right, flicked it left, and we just missed the wall by about two feet, I'd say. But I have to admit, the butterflies were certainly swirling around in my stomach, and I had the biggest smile on my face. I actually saw Gerhardt sneak a peek at me, and he was smiling as well. We flashed past the start-finish line, and Gerhardt looked over and simply asked me, Would you like to go faster? And I said, Yes, sir. Now, I'd like to think that I sounded calm, cool, and collected, but in my mind I was asking myself, Can we actually go faster? Because that lap felt pretty fast. <laughs> and faster we went. That second lap is something that, to this day, I will never forget. Every single barrier or wall to the circuit we were so close to it, exiting corners. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. But you know what it did? It opened up a whole new world in my mind about how to drive a car, how to drive a car at speed, where you're supposed to be looking, etc. Man, Gerhard, if you're listening, that second lap is something that changed my life forever. Now, the third lap, we went considerably slower. As Gerhard explained, he needed to cool off the brakes a little bit. He was feeling some brake fade. And that was cool. I needed the brake as well. But here was the kicker. We come around to do the fourth lap. And Ayrton, in the other NSX, is waiting at the end of the pit lane. And I notice that he's all by himself. No passenger this time. We exited turn one, two, three. And Ayrton was hot on our heels. And I mean hot on our heels. When I looked in the mirrors, he wasn't more than a few feet behind us and he was pushing us into every corner. This lasted for an entire lap. And Gerhardt and Ayrton, obviously, I mean, they're, 
These guys were great friends. Garrett was one of the few guys who could really help Ayrton unwind, help him laugh. And these guys were just having a great time. And obviously, Gerhardt knew that I was cool with it, so off we went. And it wasn't until the second lap around, going down into the hairpin, where Ayrton made his move down the inside. Gerhardt tried to stick with him, but the problem was the NSX brakes were just glowing. I mean, they must have been on fire, these things. And we ended up going right through the hairpin. But it was pretty cool because then Gerhardt did two 360s and then headed back down the backstretch before cooling off the car. I can still hear the noises that that engine was making when we finally pulled into the pits. What an amazing experience. And two incredible drivers who, yes, we were going fast, I can assure you, at no point was I ever in danger, no point that I ever feel frightened. I think at that point, it's just, it all felt like a dream. I couldn't even believe I was there. I couldn't believe what I was doing. I was just the happiest kid alive. After the track session, we were all escorted down to the actual McLaren garage where we got to see the Formula One cars. Now, I know the garages today are far more, you know, they have far more technology, far more things going on in them. But at the time, remember, this is the garage of the fastest Formula One team on the planet. And there was so much to look at, so much to see. I wasn't allowed to sit in the car but uh, the mechanics were walking around describing what things do, what the car was doing, etc., what they were working on, what they were looking at. It was just an absolutely fascinating experience. And then we all went for lunch. Now, before the food was actually served, everybody was standing around having a drink. And they were all wearing their jackets. There I am with my jacket hanging over my shoulder. And I'm just praying that nobody will ask me to put it on. Just praying. I'd gotten this far. There was no way... I wasn't going to get something to eat before I headed back to Toronto. So the catering staff brings out the food and everybody gets in line and goes up and starts picking out what they want to eat. Once again, I went to the back of the queue, not wanting to get any attention, and got my food. When I turned around looking for a place to sit, obviously being at the back of the queue, everyone else had already taken their positions or sat down. And there was only two seats available. One was right next to Gerhard Berger and one was right next to Ayrton Senna. I stood there unsure if it was even proper for me to sit with them, and that was until Gerhardt looked at me, smiled, and waved me over. First thing I noticed is they weren't eating what we were eating. Ayrton had a big bowl of fruit with watermelon, mango, banana, uh, and also some orange slices, and he was just drinking a big glass of water. Gerhardt had chicken with vegetables, and the strangest thing I've ever seen before, he had a blob of vanilla ice cream on the side of his plate, like he was having his dessert with his meal. Now again, I don't know if he was being serious or not, but uh, I think he was doing it to almost get Ayrton's attention. And he did. And Ayrton looked at him and he said, you forgot the cone. And Gerhardt looked at him and said, I already ate the cone. And they started laughing. Thankfully, people kept coming up to us and asking for autographs. Well, not us. <laughs> yeah, they wanted my autograph. Hey, was that you in the Dodge Omni going 160 kilometers an hour? <laughs> yeah, that's me. Here's my autograph. No. They were taking pictures with Ayrton and Gerhardt, getting their autographs. And like I said, it gave me time to settle down a little bit around them. I wanted to be able to ask intelligent questions. I, I didn't want to be nervous. And having witnessed Ayrton that day, I wasn't nervous. A few people got up from Acura Canada and gave some speeches. They talked a little bit about the NSX. And then they asked Ayrton to get up to the podium. As you probably know, Ayrton was instrumental in helping Honda and Acura develop the NSX. His driving feedback was relayed to the engineers, and they took care of the rest. And I would have to say that the final product was pretty darn impressive, especially for the time. 
Before ending his speech, he made it a point to talk about Gilles Villeneuve, who the circuit is now named after. Now, I had always heard that Ayrton had said openly to anyone that he never had any heroes. He never had anybody that he looked up to. But that's not what he said that day. He spoke openly about how Gilles had influenced him when he was younger, how his spirit and his passion is is never give up, and his incredible driving ability always, always inspired him to be the best driver that he could be. Now, my mind was totally blown. My mind was totally blown. I had completely, completely gotten Ayrton Senna wrong. Time seemed to fly by now. Now that we were openly chatting and talking and I was just a blabbermouth about Jill and Ayrton loved it. He loved it. People now were filing out and leaving and by the end of it, it was just Gerhard Berger, Ayrton Senna, a few people from Acura and a few people from McLaren sitting there at the table with me and my little jacket. After a few more minutes, everyone got up to leave. And it was Gerhard who asked me, whereabouts was I sitting for the race? This is when I came clean and said, I actually don't have money for tickets for the race. And Ayrton looked at me and said, But you own an NSX. If I could only see the look on my face at that moment. I I mean, I can honestly tell you I have now edited this part three or four times because I keep bursting out laughing. <laughs> All right, there you go, I laughed. So, long story short, I ended up getting into a car with Gerhard Berger, Ayrton Senna, and a member from Acura. I guess this was the, the courtesy car that they arrived in. And this was their driver. And they drove me over to the VIP parking area. To my horror, all of the NSXs were gone. And all that remained were a few porta-potties. And sneaking out from behind the last one was the bumper of my gold Dodge Omni. Now, they didn't notice it at first. Because both Gerhardt and Ayrton looked at me with a strange look on their face and said, Where's your car? Somebody stole it. This situation was quickly going from bad to worse. And I said to them, it's okay, I'll walk from here. And Ayrton said, you're going to walk to Toronto? At this point, the game was up. And I said, no, my car is actually just over there behind the porta potties. So the courtesy driver drove around and they both just looked at my car and burst out laughing. In hindsight, it was a blessing that I got caught. I mean, let's face it, the story is much better that I got caught. But also, Ayrton then didn't even hesitate He reached inside his jacket, took out four tickets to the Grand Prix situated right across from the pit lane. Now those tickets at the Canadian Grand Prix are the most expensive tickets other than like the VIP booths. Gerhardt finally managed to stop laughing and we all said our goodbyes. Just as I was walking towards my car, I waved to them and Ayrton's window was down in the car and he said, we're going to stay just to make sure it starts. (laughs) It did. We gave each other thumbs up. And that was it. Ayrton Senna and Gerhard Berger drove away into the sunset. Now, when I previously told them I didn't have money to attend the Grand Prix, I mean, I really didn't have money to attend the Grand Prix. I mean, just one of the tickets that Ayrton gave me was worth more than my car was worth. I managed to find my way downtown, and I sold three of the tickets. I want to say I got about $300 each. I mean, that's what I'm guessing. All I remember is I had $1,000 on me, and it was the most money I had ever had in my life. I ended up sleeping in the car for the weekend, attending the race, being able to afford my speeding ticket, and I bought tons and tons of F1 merchandise. It was the greatest weekend. I mean, I slept in a car with that little coat. That was my blanket. 
but I was at my first Grand Prix. I was rich and it's a memory I will never, never forget. After the race, I managed to find my way back home to Toronto and I thought I was free and clear. I thought I got away with all of it. And that was until my father received a letter from Acura Canada thanking him for attending the VIP experience at the Canadian Grand Prix. <laughs> oh, man, I want to go back to that time. I wish Ayrton was around. I wish I could see him again. I wish we could have that laugh again. I wish I could tell him what the rest of that weekend was like and what it was like for me to meet him. It's a moment in time that I will absolutely never forget. And while I watch the race this weekend, I will think about both of those gentlemen. <sighs> yeah, I'll think of both of them. Gerhard had that serious, serious accident, Tamborello, and it was a, a miracle that he got out of it, and Ayrton unfortunately didn't. But if he's listening, he gave this kid a thrill of a lifetime. Obrigado. I think I said it right. Obrigado, Ayrton. Thank you. We all miss you. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. My name is Matthew Kane. If you would like to connect with me on social media, I would like that too. I am Dirty underscore F1 on Twitter and the Dirty Air F1 podcast on both Instagram and YouTube. And please check out my new website, thedirtyairf1.com. I'm going to end this video with a onboard lap of Ayrton Senna going around Monaco. I hope everybody enjoys the race this weekend. Take care, everybody. I'll talk to you soon.